Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Ennevar, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Jamin Fraser, about helping business owners solve the insecurity problem. Jamin is an author, TEDx speaker and coach. He is widely recognised as one of Australia's leading life coaches and one of the leading voices globally in dealing with personal insecurity. Jamin is the author of Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems and the soon-to-be-released Deep Change, How to Improve the Quality of Your Life for Good. Welcome, Jamin. Thanks for having me, Clive. Absolute pleasure. Two books, TEDx speaker, coach, globally. What do you do in your spare time? Look, I love to run. I'm a keen cyclist. Play the drums. I live on a farm. I enjoy pretty relaxed existence. I have a nap after lunch most days. Don't mind going to the movies. Life's for living, so I do plenty of that. Very good. Speaking of living life, I understand you're a family man. You have a family. Yeah, look, I've been married for 20 years. Uh, I've got two teenage kids, which is a whole new season of parenting. Yeah, so it's a fantastic privilege and a challenge to be a good parent. And, you know, I think on most days I do okay at that. So, uh, yeah, but always, always room for improvement. So do you give the kids a report card so they can check you off? Did you do this good? Did you do that good? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the wisdom in that strategy. I'm not sure how they could know whether or not I'm being good because a lot of the time my parenting is around creating some boundaries and sometimes it's saying no to the things they would prefer I'm saying yes to. So their report card might be quite scathing at times when in hindsight they'll look back and go, ah, okay, that was pretty fair from the old man to say no to that. <laughs> a very good point. There's a whole lot of things we might like to judge that uh, we aren't sufficiently skilled in order to allow us to judge. Exactly right. Which leads us to keeping ourselves in check. This mm. insecurity seems to be something that raises its head frequently in many areas. So give us mm. a bit of a rundown on your understanding of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a universal challenge. I think every adult is on a trajectory to work out who they are and if they matter. And we typically outsource the answers to those questions by what we do, what we've got, who likes us, who approves of us, what others think. So that is a child response and one that's going to let us down and one that constantly leads us to think that we're not good enough. So I think the process of working that out for ourselves is the process of fully becoming an adult. Yeah, so this fear shows up in all kinds of places and I would say everyone sees it, in, limit them in some way or another. And indeed, we have difficulty learning how to become an adult. Hmm. Is there some formula we can follow that will help us with this? I think there is. I think Stephen Covey, the late great Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, gives that exact formula. It says the journey to maturity goes from dependence to independence to interdependence. So I think the real personal development work is the work of independence. It's the work of cutting the cord for all the external ways that fill your cup and learning how to fill your own cup, how to be fully self-sufficient 
not just financially and physically, but also emotionally, relationally, intellectually. Be able to reference your own opinion, trust your own judgment, and validate your own existence so that then you can come into the world with your cup full and have interdependent relationships. Indeed. And you're obviously well versed in this. Give us a bit of an insight into how you came to be the person that you are. What was your journey like? Mm, Wow. I grew up as a country kid, well loved by my parents, but I was a kid that didn't necessarily believe I was very popular or well liked. I struggled to make friends. I was a pretty average kind of kid with ambitions, but never really believed I was capable of them. So I longed to live a meaningful life, but was pretty sure that that wasn't going to happen. I dreamed of writing a book. I dreamed of traveling, all kinds of things. And so, yeah, the experience of coming up against that limiting belief was pretty profound early on in my life. And you know, thankfully, I had some key people in my world who constantly drew me into a deeper conversation and helped me believe it was possible to reach for more. So, you know, eventually I found myself making a commitment to actually go be that person. And I can still vividly remember when I gave myself permission to write my first book. And I told that my wife and my best friend and was all pepped up on Mountain Dew, excited, ready to go. I was staying in Melbourne at the time. I wrote the first chapter of that first book. And the moment I shut the laptop, all that excited passionate energy turned to fear and dread and holy shit what have I done now I've said it and I've put it out there what if I can't what if no one likes it oh boy and so that was when I really uncovered the full strength of this insecurity just beneath the surface that said who are you Jamin like really who do you think you are to be doing something like this this is going to end in tears and so that's really when I uncovered it and I knew just then it was so ferocious and strong I knew that if I didn't find a way to actually deal with that insecurity, it would consume me and it would cause me to fade into the background and live a small life. So I wasn't really prepared for that outcome. So that began a search to go, how does this get solved? And modeled a bunch of people who I thought had actually done really well at that in the process, made some interesting discoveries about the the possibility of insecurity being solved and then how that actually happened. So I feel like I've applied that to great effect in my own life and have created modelling around that so I can replicate that with others. Very good. And this modelling and such, that actually took you, or discovering the modelling, took you on a journey which fulfilled part of those dreams you were telling us about a few moments ago, the dream of travel and the dream of of writing books. Yeah, absolutely. I came across The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and I don't know, you know, when you read books and there's something that just grabs you, you just cannot shake it. And I was early on, might have been the first one or two chapters where he described the three luxuries in life as time, money, and mobility. And I thought, wow, that is true. And I looked around at people who were doing business and I thought they don't necessarily have those three. Even if it looks successful, all their time is being occupied, their money is tied up in their business and they're stuck to a location. I thought, that's not the way to do that, but there is a way to do that. And so I put myself in the deep end deliberately i you know we made i made an agreement with my wife that this is what we're going to do she was in we decided europe was the place amazingly we ended up finding someone who would give us accommodation fully furnished apartment for us and our nanny in a beautiful village in germany but i got on the plane and with one person signed up to my first online coaching program and no plan b just to go well there is only one way to find out if this is possible and and that is to go put myself in the place where it has to be possible. 
Very good. I, I like the idea of no plan B. I think plan A works really, really well. Well, I think especially if you've got a big why and you're really clear on why that is important to you and what that's all about, because I think if the why is big enough, the how takes care of itself. You start with the how, you just get lost in a, in a sea of impossibilities and impracticalities. So I think that philosophy has served me well over the years and has really caused a lot of growth. Indeed, and moving yourself across to Germany for a period of time probably presented a few challenges of its own, for example, language. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, I did two years of German in year seven and eight at school, to be fair. So I was across the language. No, I wasn't across the language. I just imagined it would be really easy and no problems. But we went to quite a small village that didn't have a lot of English speaking at all. And we were quite horrified at, at how far in the deep end we'd thrown ourselves. But again, that was cause for some, some steep learning and a great experience to immerse ourselves in a different culture. It also created some interesting challenges financially because it turned out to be a lot harder to run an online coaching business than I'd imagined, especially from the other side of the world. So I ran out of money halfway through that process, which exposed another really interesting insecurity that I hadn't seen before around my own valuing of what I had to offer and how I'd price that. So as is often the case, insecurities only emerge after you take a step of growth. They lay dormant while you're in a comfort zone, but you step out and try something new and all of a sudden, you just discover a limiting belief. So that was certainly the case there. And I imagine that not having total command of the language would provide you with some isolation. Yeah, it was quite isolating early on. Thankfully, there were some beautiful people that connected us into the local community, which we were eternally grateful for. And I joined the local soccer team with my son. And once we played soccer, we were a local. We were in. We learned how to play soccer and drink beer. Well, my son didn't. And that was enough. <laughs> that was a universal language. I thought Australians could drink beer, but no, Germans know how to drink beer. They are quite efficient, their ability to down alcohol and contain it. And indeed, they are the ones <laughs> that created Oktoberfest. That's right. <laughs> they did indeed. There was a six-pack of beer that I bought from Aldi, the supermarket just around the corner from where we lived, and it was €1.69. And if I returned all the bottles, I got €1.50 back. So it was about $0.19 cents for a six-pack of 500ml bottles of beer. So I was basically making money by drinking beer. <laughs> so I had plenty of practice. <laughs> I like that idea. How come Aldi's not doing that for us here? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there may be a few different tax laws in our country. <laughs> Let's dive into this solving people's insecurities and limiting beliefs. Is there a way that people can identify mm. for themselves that perhaps they have a limiting belief? And if so, is there something they can do about removing that? Or is it really something that we have to put our hand up and say, I don't know what's going on, please help somebody? No, that's a great question, and I think we have great capacity for self-awareness off the back of asking intelligent questions and being willing to stop. So practice one in the model, and the model isn't my – I didn't invent the model, I don't think. My work has been to make the model explicit. People throughout time who've found a way of overcoming insecurity and notice how they did it, and I know there were seven things that showed up again and again and again, whether they were intentional or not, conscious or unconscious, there were seven things in every case. So the first of those seven was to step into the light. Yoda says, named must your fear be before banish it you can. So 
you know, it makes sense that until you diagnose an issue correctly, well, then you can't begin the process of fixing that issue. So a way into the diagnosis is just this understanding that behavior never lies. Typically, people only address behavior when they deal with change. They behavior manage themselves into a change process. But if you understand that behavior is the end of the assembly line and it just flows out of the system of our beliefs, it's actually a very accurate representation of what we believe and a great way to do some self-awareness. So I simply work my way backwards where patterns of behavior show up that I don't like. I just say, well, what must I believe about myself in order to keep behaving this way? You know, we think we believe all kinds of things, but behavior never lies. So that is a great, great way to notice. If you keep sabotaging your success, if you keep procrastinating about stuff, if you don't do the things you said you were going to do, if you keep holding back from those great opportunities, if you get nervous when you get a chance to speak, like all of these indicators go, what beliefs must be underneath that? So from there, you have a window into discovering what's really going on. And having discovered it, is the ordinary person, the everyday person, capable of dealing with those issues themselves and rooting them out, as it were, and replacing them with a different belief? Or is that something that we need to turn to a professional such as yourself? Well, the distinction I make is that it is impossible to solve on your own. And the, the thinking around that comes from the hero's journey metaphor. Are you familiar with Joseph, Campbell, Joseph Campbell's work around that metaphor? I'm familiar with the metaphor. <laughs> Perhaps you can enlighten all of well, us. Well, sure. So in the metaphor, there's always a wisdom character. So the hero meets a wisdom character. And without the wisdom character, the hero stays in the ordinary world. There's always a Gandalf. There's always a Dumbledore. There's a Yoda. There's a Mr. Miyagi. There's someone who takes the hero and disciples and trains them, equips them. So. I think that's a really powerful way of thinking about getting help, peace, because I'm convinced we do need help to really be the hero in our own life and to go on a journey where we show up as our best and overcome the, the tendencies to play it small or hide in fear. But the distinction is to get help from someone who doesn't care about you. So that's actually practice five on the model because I think the greatest challenge for coaches, counsellors, therapists, psychologists is not to confuse the world about who the hero is which happens all the time. And I think so many people go into those disciplines because they like to be the rescuer. They need to be needed. And so they create these long-term relationships of dependency, propping people up, medicating, managing their dysfunction so that they create need and dependence, which is very unkind to the hero and keeps the hero small. So I think the distinction is no one's coming to save you, right? You actually, when you explore the mechanics of insecurity, you created it and you're the only one who can dissolve it. But you do need help. Getting someone who is objective enough to hold you in a space and not get in the way is a really essential. It, it makes the list of the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. So to answer your question, we need help, uh, but getting the right help is essential. Indeed, it, objective being the important thing you mentioned there because it's really difficult for ourselves to be objective about what we do. Absolutely. The chair of behavior, the chair of human behavior at Harvard, I can't think of his name. I, it leaves me every time I recall the, the quote of his, but he says that in his mind, the thing that accelerates human growth more than any other thing is the subject object switch. So we are subjective beings, but we have the capacity for self-awareness and reflection. We do have the capacity to think about our thinking, as Stephen Covey says, 
and every moment spent looking back in at our story is time well spent. But it's a difficult thing to do because our story feels so real, so concrete. Our brain is an evidence-gathering machine. We create these self-fulfilling prophecies. So to have someone who has no vested interest in your story and has the capacity to really help you get out and see the principles and the processes, it's such a clean space. And from that vantage point, you always get more awareness and more choice. Indeed. I can't recommend it enough. Find somebody who can help. Let them help. Perhaps that's the most important, allowing someone to help. And it's an interesting thing, reaching out for help, because I think typically we go to help from people who care, like friends and family, people who know us, who like us. We kind of think that they're the people who are going to be most useful. They never are because they can't help but speak to us out of their own wanting. People who care about us want us to do well. They want us to be okay. They don't want us to hurt or feel bad. And so they give us advice. They speak to us. They impart their own map of the world onto ours. They position themselves as the expert. All well-intentioned, but it disempowers the hero. So my very first job, when I have the privilege of coaching someone, is to convince them that I don't care. And I push that as hard as possible. I know I look like someone who cares. I sound like someone who cares, but you just can't confuse me for someone who gives a shit. Like I won't lose any sleep over you. I'll forget about you when we're done here. You'll tell me sad stories and I won't cry. I'm not the one with the problem, right? Like my life's going really well. You know, so I'm not another person who wants you to do something you don't want to do. But you tell me what you want and I'll give you everything I've got to get that. So I came across this. I learned this when I cut my teeth as a coach working with a long-term unemployed. So they were constantly people who everyone in their world had a vested interest. Everyone had an agenda for them. Everyone wanted them to do something or give them something. And it was so hard. That external force pressure just demobilized all the time. So when I said, listen, I don't care. I'm not impacted by your pain. It was this very different kind of conversation and a very intriguing one because I never bought into their story that they didn't want anything, that they were happy being unemployed, happy being broke, happy being depressed, that they were, yeah, this is what it is. I never once believed that was true. I treated them like an adult. They are the ones who created their problems and they could fix them. But it was just this incredible thing that happened when you could create this judgment-free, clean conversation. Then it was all of a sudden safe for people to come out of hiding. You can't do judgment and awareness at the same time. So when the space is clean and objective, then you can have any conversation. And if you can have any conversation, well, then you get to have the right conversation. And that right conversation turns out to be transformational. So I think that's one of the real crux of being an effective change agent is having a clean conversation. Indeed, I like the way you express it, the clean conversation, because if we're talking to our friends or our, our family who, as you say, are vested within us, wanting us to do something or wanting something from us, we find ourselves locked in that little area of play and that's where we play. We've got to step mm-hmm. outside and sometimes that's a bit frightening, finding new space. For sure. But only... The thing that is most terrifying about a conversation in a new space is the fear of judgment, I think. So when people genuinely get that there is no judgment, if I have no vested interest, then you can't please me or disappoint me. There's no right answer or wrong answer, just the answer that is. So when that really sinks in, I think the fear drops away and the vulnerability goes away as well. It becomes safe, to be honest. Dragging out that honesty. It's all good fun. Hmm. It is a lot of fun. So... (laughs) (laughs) Why is personal development essential for business owners? 
Well, you know, it seems like a really obvious question, but it's an important one because it's not so obvious to most people I don't observe. I think people naturally believe they've got to have a business plan and a marketing plan, a strategic plan, you know, but the personal development plan often goes missing. But if it's all you, like if you're an employee, for instance, you could probably show up at 50% effectiveness and no one really knows. You could probably get away with it, still take home a paycheck and still be given a pat on the back. Um, but try doing that when it's all you, when you're running the show, when it's your business, when you've got skin in the game, by showing up at 50% effectiveness or efficiency. You can't afford to be anything other than your best where it matters most. That is a personal development conversation more than it's just a strategic plan and a marketing plan kind of conversation. So it's all you and you bring yourself to the game. You're in your own head, your own thoughts, your own beliefs, and that impacts every single thing that you do. So to me, it's an absolute clear no-brainer that it, it has to be part of an effective overall strategy for success in any area. Indeed, clarity about oneself will provide enormous clarity around a business. Mm. And particularly clarity around the things holding you back. Like I think people get frustrated by their own dysfunctions and weaknesses and inefficiencies, and I'm not quite sure how to fix those and believe the problem is outside of them or they just need more skills or better time management or better systems. But our ability to execute those systems is compromised where there is self-limiting beliefs and we're driving the car with the handbrake on because we're afraid of success or afraid of failure or rejection or we've got this imposter monster you know, threatening to expose us at any time that the fear of being found out is inadequate. So that stuff is massively important if you really want to go do your good work, your best work. Excellent advice. But what happens to us if insecurity is left unaddressed? Well, the statement that I have sounds pretty dramatic. I just don't think it is. I'm convinced that as Eckhart Tolle says, the human condition is, is one of madness. So it's inherently good people who, against all better judgment, make decisions against their values and against their rational thinking that hurt themselves and others. It could only be described as madness. So I think insecurity left unaddressed and unresolved, it weakens you to the point of madness. I'm sure we could all think of someone advanced in their years who has not found a way out of their deep fears about themselves, and you're not having a rational conversation with them. They're so obsessed by what others think and obsessed by all these imagined things that are going to take place in their mind that consumes them. Yeah, I think it's a pretty dramatic slide to instability and anxiety and depression And if you don't find a way out of this. Indeed. So let's keep our eyes open for, first, the symptoms. Second, who's going to solve it? Yeah, absolutely. And being clear that just because you see a problem in your life doesn't necessarily mean that's what's creating it. So I watch people observe pain in their finances, their relationships, in their business. And because that's where they see the pain, they think that's where the problem is. So they try and solve it on the surface. But if you a bit of gentle inquiry uh, kind of quickly lets you see that underneath all that, there are some limiting beliefs and, and insecurities. And if you can vulnerable and courageous enough to go down that level and solve that problem or well, the surface problems become very different very quickly. Indeed, the symptom is very rarely associated closely with the serious issue. Indeed, my two favourite coaching questions at the moment are, question one, what problem are you most trying to solve right now? Useful to get clear on that. And question two is, are you sure that's the problem? Are you sure that's actually the problem? Because if it's not actually the problem, you're going to waste time, energy, and money solving something that's a symptom, not the cause. So before you start swinging away, 
fixing it. Just can we make sure we're at the right diagnosis? <laughs> I love Jordan Peterson. Sorry. I, I, no, you're right. You're right. Well, have you read, I don't know if you've come across Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. I think it's a remarkable book. Rule 10 says, be precise in your speech. And he says, things that go unnamed become monsters and consume you. So because people are insecure about being insecure, it's very rarely named as insecurity. But for that reason, it becomes even more dangerous. So being willing to get very clear on what the problem really is and name it is the only way into actually solving this. Indeed, identifying the issue is most important. But how is the insecurity problem solved most effectively? Yeah, well, as I alluded to, I, I do think there are seven essential practices and I think they stack on top of each other. They coexist. They together form a really complete strategy. So just briefly, the, the seven are, as I mentioned firstly, to step into the light you know, to name insecurity as the foe that you're trying to beat. Secondly, it's to take 100% responsibility. So typically when people identify that there's an insecurity problem, they naturally place themselves as a victim of their past. Okay, I am insecure because what has been said to me or done to me or not said to me or not done to me, it is what it is. You can't change the past. All I can do now, I've identified insecurity. Well, I'm just left to manage it. But I think that's not true, not ever true. We're storytellers, we're sense-making creatures. We go into the world and we have to attach meaning to every experience. And so it turns out that insecurity is not created outside of us by what has happened to us, but inside of us by the meaning we place on those things. We create negative meanings about ourselves. So just identifying that insecurity was created by us means it's a very empowering thing to say we're the only ones who can solve it. So that's two. Practice three is to stack the pain. No one has solved insecurity other than from a point of great pain. I talk to people all the time. They're like, yeah, I yeah, probably am insecure, but I don't really, can't really see how it's costing me. Cool. Maybe it's not. But whatever that's the focus, you won't, you will not be motivated enough to do anything about it. You only take drastic action and dive into fear when there's a really compelling reason. So the interesting thing is that insecurity is costing us, but it's just possible to ignore that cost. So an accurate cost assessment of how much insecurity is impacting your health, your finances, your relationships your business compounding into the future actually creates this massive pain threshold where now the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same. And then you've got every cell in your body driving this change journey. Practice four is the other side of motivation because if it's just pain avoidance, as Anthony Robbins teaches, it'll run out of steam the moment you get far enough away from pain. And then six months later, you're back to where you started. So practice four is to have a compelling life vision. So not just being clear about what you don't want, but what do you want instead? In the hero's journey, the hero always has a quest. If Frodo's not driven to chuck this ring in the lake of fire, why is he risking his life every day? You know, if you're not clear about what this is all for and what you want your life to stand for and what you think you're capable of, you will run out of motivation when you face challenges. But the cool thing is to desire as human, so while it might be hard to get clear on that sense of purpose, it's always there. It's just a scary thing to examine. Uh, practice five is get help from someone who doesn't care. So there's always that wisdom character and that kind of sits across the whole process. Uh, practice six is to go be the hero because in the hero's journey, you'll notice that in the real moment of crisis and the real moment of trial, the wisdom character is no longer there. Gandalf's gone, Yoda's gone, Dumbledore's dead, Mr. Miyagi's at home, like, and the hero's still got to go do the thing, which is so cool because, again, no one's coming to save you. 
if someone could save you by just telling you, hey, listen, you're awesome, just believe you're enough and you'll be fine, well, you would have already solved insecurity. It's you. It's your own opinion of yourself. And so the hero has to go examine their own story all the way back to the beginning, the very origin, the very moment in time where they decided they were not enough, they were not worthy of love. They've got to deconstruct it all the way back to the start. And then practice seven is to rewrite the story. So having cleared the slate, cleaned up the story, deconstructed the old narrative, you're the one with the pen and paper anyway. You're not the actor in the story, you're the storyteller. You may as well write a compelling story, a beautiful story, a story that actually has the capacity for you to go be the person you want to be. So people typically want to, after hearing that, just want to rush to practice seven and go, cool, I get it. Surely I don't have to wade back into my past. Can't I just write some affirmations on my mirror and um, tell myself how awesome I am three times a day? You certainly can. It won't create change though because it'll just become behavior management. You have to deconstruct the old narrative before you can replace it. So I think those seven are a complete strategy around solving insecurity. And a good seven. I can certainly see how they can work because it's the type of thing I see on a regular basis. Got to dig deep, find out what's going on, recognize each part for what it is, deal with it appropriately, and let's get that good story written. Absolutely. And I think the, the joy of this process is people imagine this stuff so messy and mysterious and unique and complicated. It never is. It's very scientific, very strategic, very predictable, very universal. So I love telling people all the time, you're not special. This is not, you're not the only person who feels like this. This is a human challenge. Every one of us have to work this stuff out. So there are people who've gone before you who've actually worked out how to do this. So you're not special. You're not different. You're going to be okay. Trust the process. Um, It's simple and hard, not complicated and unique, and you'll be okay. And indeed, that's important. It, it is a process because it, it's been used by countless numbers before. Absolutely. It'll be used by countless numbers again. Mm-hmm. We'll keep doing it to ourselves, won't we? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love Einstein's idea to make something as simple as possible but no simpler. So I think yes, an elegantly simple framework is I'm a framework kind of guy. I love looking at frameworks to solve any problem and I think that's all you need. It's a proven framework and someone's skillful enough to hold you in the space until it works. Yeah, to recognise things for what they are rather than what we think. Perhaps we wish they were. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Perhaps that nasty black knight over there isn't quite as black as what he really is. Yeah, yeah, that turns out to be true every time. Our fears are irrational, and it's not actually the fear of not being good enough. It's the fear of the thought of not being good enough. Of course we're enough. Like, obviously, everyone else can see that but we've just built up this story and this fear has gone unexamined. So it is just the process of examining it and deconstructing it and noticing that it is just a work of fiction so that you can be free from it. Indeed. And look, this has been an excellent conversation. Thank you, Jamin. But before I let you go, what's the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Well, speaking of frameworks, I've been part of the Dent Global community for a couple of years And the best advice I ever got, and it was part of why I joined that community, was business will be hard until you are a key person of influence. So until you are a key person of influence, your full-time job is to become a key person of influence. And so they have a really cool framework around how anyone becomes influential in an industry. So I've just loved that. It's been such a missing piece in my own journey. I was always a good coach and I'd done the personal development work quite naturally. 
But the weakness was business systems and structures. So trusting a process and a framework has been a godsend and, and a really beautiful thing. And now you embrace them. Absolutely. Indeed. What's the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today? Advice is, is a dirty word in my book. I don't like it because, you know, the natural response when someone tells you what you should do is to say, hey, listen, you're not my mum. Don't tell me what to do. So I don't like presuming to give advice. But my challenge or my thought to sum up is to say the world is waiting on entrepreneurs to bring their best to the game so they can solve the most important problems. I have no confidence in government to solve the world's biggest problems. They're too busy playing silly games. It's entrepreneurs that have my confidence. So it's, this is a really important thing for entrepreneurs to deal with this so that they can get about the business of solving insecurity. To me, insecurity is the kindergarten problem. It's a problem in the way of you actually solving the important problems. It's really not a big deal to be able to solve that and then, then get about doing the thing that you were really designed to do so that we can all benefit. Excellent. And most importantly, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? The Insecurity Project is my thing. I have a podcast, the 120 episodes or so. That's a really great way, as you are aware of, the podcasting is so fun and so useful. So to dive into that podcast would be a great way of getting familiar with the content and the conversations. Yeah, otherwise my book is available on Amazon or off my website. And your website is? jamonfraser.com. And for the benefit of those who can't read the spelling through the radio? Yes, (laughs) J-A-E-M-I-N-F-R-A-Z-E-R. That is a an important one, a little bit of a difficult name to spell. But thankfully, there's only one of me that I'm aware of in the world. So people seem to be able to find me, even if they can't work out how to spell my name. <laughs> so for anyone who's having difficulty with it, Google what you think. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Google the Insecurity Project because I had some strong business advice to not use that name because it's so negative and vulnerable. But it's been an SEO masterstroke. Because yeah. there's almost no one else in the world who's gone that hard after that work. So it's quite easy to find me. Google insecurity, overcoming insecurity, and no doubt you'll come across the insecurity project. <laughs> that's good. Well, I don't mind that name. I think that's excellent, given what you do. Exactly um, right. It yeah, does what it, it says on the box. Yeah, exactly. Get straight to the heart of the, the matter. Okay. This is what ideally, if you want it, come and get it. <laughs> exactly right. Save beating around the bushes, doesn't it? Uh, exactly right. Exactly. Oh, indeed. Oh, that's great. This has been a great conversation, Jamin. I've enjoyed it too, Clive. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I think, well, unless, of course, we can eradicate insecurity between now and then, we'll get you back. Okay, fantastic. That sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app. And you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.